Hi, this is Hannah Langdell and Nick Olick, Duke Plastic Surgery residents on The Resident Review, a plastic surgery podcast. This is a platform designed for education on plastics, hand, and craniofacial surgery trainees from medical student to master surgeon. Our episodes take you through high-yield topics along with experts in the field in order to maximize your knowledge and refine your techniques. If you like what you hear today, be sure to visit our website, theresidentreview.com, for episodes, outlines, resources, and more. Stay tuned after the episode for a brief message from our sponsors. Today, we're introducing a new series called the Resident Review Flapcast. This is a series designed to review the basic anatomy and surgical approaches to common flaps using plastic surgery. Additionally, each lecture will include a brief discussion with the plastic surgery attending, highlighting key dissection steps and technical pearls. Let's get started. Today, we are joined by our very own Dr. Brett Phillips. Dr. Phillips completed his plastic surgery training here at Duke. He then went on to complete a fellowship in microsurgery at MD Anderson Cancer Center before returning to Duke, where he is now an assistant professor of surgery and the newly appointed program director of the Duke Plastic Surgery Residency Program. Dr. Phillips, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. So today we'll be reviewing the ALT or the anterior lateral thigh flap. This is a workhorse flap in plastic surgery, given that it is highly versatile and can provide muscle, skin, fascia, has a large skin paddle and relatively minimal donor site morbidity. Nick, do you want to start by reviewing some of the anatomy? Sure. So uh, just starting with the anatomy of the thigh, there are three major thigh compartments. We have our anterior, posterior, and medial or adductor compartment. Uh, most importantly in the anterior lateral thigh flap would be the anterior compartment. It contains our sartorius and our rectus femoris, vastus lateralis, vastus intermedius, and vastus medialis. Perfect. And then do you know what the major arterial supply for the ALT is? So that's going to be the descending branch of the lateral circumflex femoral artery. And just kind of tracing this back a little bit, uh, we start at the common femoral artery. This is going to branch into the superficial femoral artery and the profunda femoris. The profunda is going to give off first the medial circumflex femoral artery and then the lateral circumflex femoral artery, which has three branches, the ascending, transverse, and descending branch. And like we said, that is the pedicle to our ALT. That's exactly right. And remember that the descending branch runs between the rectus femoris and the vastus lateralis. And Nick, do you want to finish up by telling our listeners what the venous drainage and the innervation of the flap is? Sure. So the venous drainage is going to be the vena comitans that runs with the pedicle. Uh, and the innervation, if you do an innervated flap, would be the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve. Perfect. And then a bonus question for you. So if we're going to do a reverse ALT, do you know what the blood supply would be for that? Uh, that would be the lateral superior genicular artery, uh, which is a branch off of the popliteal. Wonderful. Great job. Um, so now we'll turn to our expert, Dr. Phillips. Sure. So uh, Dr. Phillips, so what are your general thoughts on the ALT? Is this a flap that you commonly use and what do you use it for in your practice? So I think uh, ALT flap is a very versatile flap like we already discussed. It can have multiple different components. Uh, including skin, uh, fat, fascia, muscle. Uh, it could be chimeric where it can use multiple different components based off different perforators and different branches of the uh, descending um, branch uh, system with a lot of circumflex femoral. So I, this is a great flap to use basically from head to toe, uh, kids to adults, 
and is definitely my go-to for uh, anyone that I need a fast cutaneous flap for. It's, uh, I think, the benefit and the reason why it became so popular, especially for head and neck reconstruction, is that the patient can lay supine and you can do a two-team approach where the reconstruction team can harvest the, the flap or at least start harvesting the flap while the head and neck team is doing their uh, the dissection. Yep. That's uh, definitely helps in the efficiency of a case when you can do it that way. Any advantages or disadvantages to the flap that you discuss with patients and, and how you prepare them for the surgery? Advantages, I think, is the donor site morbidity is minimal. You, you do dissect sometimes through the vastus lateralis and you might cause some uh, issues with the motor nerve to the vastus lateralis through your dissection. But Ultimately, this does not really uh, affect ambulation of the patient. So I usually tell them it's the morbidity is minimal. They usually have a straight line scar that's on the lateral portion of their leg. And as long as it's not too big of a defect, like I said, you can close it primarily just resulting in that one scar. Uh, so getting a little bit into the preoperative process, um, how do you like to do your markings for the ALT? You know, as residents at Duke, we know that you like to use the ABC system. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and kind of your approach to marking out the flap? Sure. So the AB system, ABC system uh, was written by uh, Dr. Peron Yu, who was one of my mentors at MD Anderson. So the system has been used now for multiple different flaps, basically just describing location of the perforator system. So you can start off by marking a line from the ASIS to the lateral patella. So that's a straight line mark. Usually that's probably anywhere from like 40 to 50 centimeters, probably closer between 45 and 50. And what you do there is you then split that in half. And that marking is uh, the area where you mark B. And five centimeters proximal to that is where you mark the A for the A perforator. And then uh, inferior to the B one five centimeters is C. And it's actually one and a half centimeters lateral to that line is where the perforators actually are. So once again, straight line, the middle is B, five centimeters above that is A, five centimeters below that is C, and then the perforators are just a little bit off laterally. Uh, the, what, what this is actually marking is the, uh, the separation uh, or the septum between the rectus uh, femoris and the vastus lateralis. So I would, I would suggest that, that line is actually not what you're supposed to cut on. That is just showing you well, identification of where the perforators are going to be. And then at what point are you using a Doppler in this process? Or are you getting any preoperative imaging to guide you? So I don't get any preoperative imaging uh, based on today LT. It is very, very reliable. Usually there, there are perforators almost all of the time there. And Dr. Yu has a couple different studies showing how how often the perforators are present. So it's pretty reliable. If they're not, if, if you were to make your incision and look for the perforators and, and find nothing going through the vastus lateralis or through the septum in that area, what you'd often do is look immediately and see if there's bigger perforators coming through the septum between sartorius and rectus femoris. And that would actually comprise of the AMT flap. You're getting ahead of us here. <laughs> So, uh, all right. So we talked about markings we're in the OR, we're all marked out. We're ready to go. Um, can you kind of take us through the initial stages of flap dissection and, and kind of highlight any areas you think may be a little tricky or challenging? 
So the way I was taught to do this dissection is, so my first incision is actually just a, uh, a straight vertical incision, just medial to our ASI astolateral patella line. And this line actually lines up with the mid portion of the patella. So it's only like a centimeter and a half or two centimeters medial from uh, your original marking. So I make that cut basically from A to C in a straight vertical fashion, dissect down all the way to fascia. I use Alice clamps on the fascia where the A, B, and C perforator should be. And then you do a subfascial dissection towards the septum. And at that point, you'll either see the perforators coming through the septum, or you'll have to dissect a little bit further over the vastus lateralis in a uh, subfascial manner, and you'll see perforators. Once I see those perforators, uh, I take a 5-O-proline stitch and mark them on the skin. So that way I know where they are. So once again, never Dopplering, and it's just not necessary. So if you find them, then you can, uh, then you can Doppler, you can Doppler them out or just mark them with your finger with a stitch. And that way, you know where those perforators are and you can kind of then orient how your flap is going to be uh, cut or laid out for whatever defect it is. And then in terms of number of perforators, are you trying to capture uh, both the B perforator and another perforator? How do you make that decision? It's really, it's really dependent on what, what you have and where the perforators are. Sometimes the A perforator, so the A perforator most commonly is the one that could be septocutaneous, followed by B, followed by C. So as you go down, they're more likely to be muscular cutaneous. Okay. So B usually goes through the muscle a little bit and you have to dissect through the muscle to get to the pedicle. C is even more muscular, usually. A is also more commonly coming off a potentially other branch of the descending uh, branch of lateral circumflex femoral artery. It could come off a transverse or even come off the ascending. So you have to be careful if you want to try and include two different perforators that they're going to the same uh, pedicle. And that's something that I'll find, you know, so you can base it off one, two, um, or three. It just, you have to look at the quality of the perforator, how big it is, uh, listen to the Doppler. You can even, you, you can even palpate it to determine whether you think it's robust enough to supply how big of a flap you have. If you do need a chimeric flap or something a little bit uh, more uh, fancy for a bigger defect, then you will have to have one perforator for each uh, segment of your uh, chimeric flap. Do you have any examples of cases where you've used chimeric flaps? Uh, yeah. So one, one example for a two skin paddle uh, ALT would be for a laryngopharyngectomy defect where you have to take one skin paddle and use it to either do a circumferential or near circumferential reconstruction of the pharynx. And then you use the second skin paddle as an external skin paddle to cover the end, uh, the end tracheostomy. Very cool. Yeah. You're always doing the, uh, the neat flaps here at our program. So it's always fun to hear about it. And then in terms of uh, size of a flap, how big of an ALT have you taken before? And I guess kind of an additional question that would be, how big of a flap are you comfortable taking but still being able to get primary closure of that donor site? So you really have to like, you know, and this goes back to pre-op is you have to pinch the patient's leg. You have to see how thick the, the subcutaneous tissue is. So you really want something that's nice, like, that's thinner and more pliable. 
uh, and that'll that'll help with both, I mean, using the flap at whatever location it's going to, in addition to uh, getting it closed. Because then you have to talk about circumference of the leg, and it's and it's a bigger it's actually a bigger gap than anticipated. So it all goes into what the patient's tissue is like, and I, you know, if you need a if you really need a big uh, flap to cover your defect, then you're going to take as big as you need, and then you're going to have to skin graft. Usually. Uh, eight centimeters or so is kind of the maximum width, but it really just depends on the patient. I think I've gotten more, I've gotten less. I've, I've had leg wounds, you know, dehiss slightly because I, I was too aggressive. So it's, it, it really just uh, depends on each individual person. And as far as length, you can get, you can get a huge flap uh, and you would just have to skin graft uh, afterwards. And we talked a little bit about the AMT flap. Is this something that you've encountered? I know you said usually it's very reliable and you're seeing perforators. Or is this something that, you know, is in your practice? Actually, uh, I have not had to do one in, uh, in practice yet. I did see one done in fellowship. So it's what, what it ends up being is that as you take the descending branch back towards the profunda, you get one or two large rectus femoris branches that go medial and that goes underneath the rectus and then comes up between the sartorius and the rectus femoris. And then, then you'll get perforators off that. So that's, you know, that's the, that's the pedicle that ends up going back to the descending branch of the lateral circumflex femoral. So um, I've seen perforators there. They do exist. You can definitely base a flap off of it. Um, I just, uh, I just have not had to do that. And we've, uh, we kind of alluded to it a couple of times, but um, you know, the ALT classically can be uh, pretty thick in certain patients. Um, how do you tr- typically address this? Is this something you address primarily or more in a secondary procedure down the road? Uh, I'll, I'll first state if it's, if it's really thick, I would actually consider doing a different flap depending on what your defect is. Uh, so, you know, one option is, yeah, obviously you can do a different flap, which might be the best option or might not be. Your other option is you can try and do a super thin flap, which I haven't done. Uh, I haven't done even in, in fellowship really didn't do any of those, but that's where you're, you know, exactly where the perforator is. So as you dissect from inferior and superior, you can go pretty thin because the supply to the skin and that superficial fat is really through like the subdermal plexus and, and superficial vessels. So you can go really thin there and then trace that all the way back to the area where you think the perforator is. And then you can go a little bit deeper until you hit the fascia and you can dissect it out normally. So that's another option. Um, if I'm just harvesting a standard ALT flap and it's really thick, I will try to thin it while it's still connected on the leg. That way I can see it bleed. Um, I know if there's an issue with the blood flow of the rest of the flap because it's still hooked up. So I'd rather have it still on the thigh and thin it out as much as I can uh, before I transfer it to wherever the the defect is. Um, Another option is you can do fascial, you can just do a fascial only. ALT flap. So that might be good for like the back of the hand or the dorsum of the foot or something like that. So that could be an option. And uh, then, you know, your kind of 
uh, last resort or lifeboat, depending on, on, on how you take it, you could actually just use the vastus lateralis muscle itself if for some reason there's an issue with, with the perforator. And muscle usually atrophies, so it might be a better uh, option for the, whatever defect you have. And then if you were to go back and either do liposuction or debulking, how long do you wait before doing those secondary procedures? Probably three to six months, to, depending. So I will do, I, I will and have done liposuction of the flap. You can elevate it. You can elevate it on all sides, basically. And after you liposuck and then uh, retract it to find out how much skin and fat you can take to try and smooth it out. And sometimes you need to do that more than once. Right. I imagine, especially like, you know, hands, feet, trying to get into shoes and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we, uh, we talked a little bit about kind of uh, specific cases of head and neck reconstruction in terms of lower extremity reconstruction. If you're reconstructing, say a distal third defect, um, how do you decide whether to use the ipsilateral or contralateral thigh if you're planning to do an ALT? I don't think there's a reason why you couldn't use the same, uh, same leg. So you could, it just might be easier to use a contralateral leg just based on location of the two team approach. Uh, but I think you can, you could do either. I don't think by taking the LT you're compromising other lower extremity, uh, perfusion or anything like that. Sometimes patients are like, you know, I'd rather just have one leg, uh, have all the surgery on one leg and not have to go to the other side. And then, you know, you might need a skin graft or, or not. So some patients will prefer trying to keep everything on one leg. Well, thank you, Dr. Phillips. Those are all the specific questions we had about the flaps. Do you have any final advice for our listeners on uh, this workhorse flap? I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's a great flap. I really think it can be used for almost almost anything. And, and uh, I think it's definitely, definitely should be in everybody's armamentarium. And the fact that you have so many different options of of how to use the flap and uh, in every different location. I think it's, it could be, you know, sensate, non-sensate, chimeric, muscle, fascia, everything. So I think, I think it's really a great flap and I think everybody should really have a good grasp on it prior to going into practice if, if uh, microsurgery reconstruction is part of it. Wonderful. And then one last question for you as a uh, microsurgeon who's not too far out of fellowship. Can you talk uh, to us about what inspired you to pursue a career in microsurgery and any advice you have for medical students or residents uh, interested in micro? Uh, tough question, but uh, I've, I think it was always the thing that I liked about plastics. I trained through the general surgery uh, track, so that was the thing that I thought was the coolest that plastic surgeons were doing when I was in general surgery, so doing breast flaps and and uh, uh, other different flaps for head and neck or, or, or breast. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. And I kind of narrowed in on that like right away. And I, I kind of never, never like alter, you know, like altered from, from that thought. So I, I, and Duke was just such a great program that had so much microsurgery um, that it was kind of just a, a perfect fit. Um, for anybody interested in, in micro, you know, there it's, it's, uh, it could be stressful and it could be, you know, long cases and, and a lot of work, but I mean, I don't think, I, I just think it's such a cool thing to be able to transplant tissue from one part of the body to an, to another and, uh, recreate, um, what's been taken away for cancer or trauma. I, I just like, it's, it's, it's really cool.
Well, we're, we're lucky to have you here at Duke and clearly very passionate and a great teacher. So thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks, Dr. Phillips. No problem. Thank you. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.